I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. The file you are about to hear has been thoroughly scrutinized by the Ethics Committee and approved by the O5 Council for release to trusted associates of the Foundation. This is SCP Unredacted. Item number 7041. Level 3, Confidential. Containment Class, Esoteric. Secondary Class, Archon. Disruption Class, Vlam. Risk Class, Warning. Special Containment Procedures. Foundation geo-imagery satellites are to scan civilian sites affected by armed conflicts for manifestations of SCP-7041. Upon detection of an instance, Mobile Task Force Tau-17, Shepherds, is to pose as the affected nation's relevant armed service personnel to evacuate non-target individuals. Task Force members are to establish a secure area one kilometer in diameter around the structure, under the pretense of deactivating explosive materials, to be maintained until the anomaly demanifests. SCP-7041-1 should not be impeded in its actions, nor should children let into the structure be retrieved. Witnesses to the event are to be administered Class A amnestics, and provided the attached cover story, NGO-sponsored Youth Rescue 4C. Living relatives of children brought into the structure are to be administered Pseudocyan Alpha 7041 yearly until all their offspring are released. Should all relatives of a child be deceased, Dash 1 has agreed to remand them into temporary government-sponsored custody. Such children are to be administered Class B amnestics. In order to ensure the integrity of the structure and the safety of its residents, triannual inspections are to be carried out by small teams of Tau-17 personnel. During these inspections, exploration of the grounds for purpose of data collection is permitted on the condition that staff remain unarmed and unprovoking of the structure's residents. Personnel violating these terms do so at their own risk. Description SCP-7041 presents as a shelter varying in appearance across manifestations and geographic locations in order to blend in with surrounding structures. Regardless of external appearance, the interior of the building exhibits anomalous spatial properties with the interior volume being far larger than its physical constraints. Different instances have demonstrated different internal layouts, though some features remain consistent. An impressionist-style wall mural depicting a seaside property located at the entrance. 
a large dining hall located toward the apparent center. Individual rooms with doors denoting information about their occupants located throughout the building. Manifestations of the structure are occupied by a caretaker, Dash One, who always appears as an adult female of varying ethnicity. The entity currently resembles an African-American woman in her late 20s. Regardless of the entity's apparent ethnicity, it is multilingual, having been documented as being fluent in all recognized modern languages. Despite having a human appearance and no documented biological abnormalities, Dash 1 has demonstrated a number of anomalous capabilities. These have included the ability to lift debris and rubble weighing upwards of 1.2 tons without mechanical assistance. The ability to perform an extremely efficient form of manual CPR with a higher than normal resuscitation rate of 62%. Extrasensory perception of nearby threats, such as location of soldiers, presence of explosions and gunfire, falling debris, etc. A resistance to physical damage, with reports documenting resistance to damage from munitions upwards of 50 caliber rifle rounds. Additionally, in the event that a child or group of children is killed while in its care, Dash 1 will enter one of two states. A mourning state ranging from 17 to 120 minutes, during which time its speed and responses to stimuli are depressed, as noted in the previous Dash 1 instance. A reality-bending state that results in the termination of the entities or objects responsible as noted in the most recent Dash 1 instance. Manifestations of the structure occur in two phases. The primary phase spans the duration of an armed conflict. The structure will manifest in areas with two or more children within one kilometer of each other in a conflict zone. Should conflict arise, Dash 1 will display some or all of the aforementioned anomalous behavior. Once all children are collected, the structure will demanifest. The secondary phase occurs when an armed conflict has reached a conclusion. The structure will summon any nearby living relatives of the sheltered children and escort them back to their original families. Should a child's relatives be deceased by the time a conflict is resolved, or should there be any form of remnant domestic threat, Dash 1 will offer the child the choice of either staying until they reach adulthood or transferring to temporary foundation custody. If the former is selected, foundation support staff will assist in the process of societal reintegration. Relevant logs. Open. Incident log. 7041. Point six four. On 4 August 2007, the structure materialized inside the city of Al-Qaim, Iraq, shortly before the town suffered a series of coordinated explosive attacks from ISI militants. The manifestation was registered with Foundation satellites. 
Dash 1 then began to guide several children from a nearby building to the structure, but was confronted by on-scene Iraqi security forces. The entity attempted to reason with the commanding officer, Sergeant Omar Jassim, asking that the children be left with it for safekeeping. The sergeant proceeded to restrain Dash 1, ordering his squad to lead the children back to their parents. The two reportedly struggled for several minutes before a large flash of light appeared. By the time witnesses regained vision, the inciting military personnel had disappeared from the area, leaving only the entity and the affected children. Dash 1 then ushered the children into the structure, which promptly demanifested. Warning! The following files are classified. Access to this file is restricted to personnel of clearance level 4 or higher. Log in to verify your identity. Three failed login attempts will result in disciplinary action. Login accepted. Welcome, Dr. Polinsky. Access. Extended Exploration Log. 7041.275 Date. 18 April 2014. Objective Notes and Events Summary Tau-17 agents Rachel Melbrook and Lindsay Forell conducted a recorded inspection of the structure as well as the well-being of its occupants. After a brief discussion with Dash-1 regarding the nature of their visit, they were permitted onto the premises for a four-hour inspection. During this time, Agent Melbrook was separated from Agent Forell, who later returned in an attempt to retrieve her. The following logs document both expeditions, as well as an additional interview conducted between Agent Melbrook and Dash 1. Exploration Log 7041.275.0 Initial Inspection Attempt Begin Log Well, that went surprisingly well. What makes you say that? Were you expecting to get vaporized? Or whatever she did to that dick Doles in the rest of 17-3, yeah. The pair walks around the foyer for several minutes before heading into the main hallway of the building. Numerous doors extend on either side of the hallway, bearing placards denoting the occupant's name and birthday. Oh, hell. You don't think Sergeant Knowles would be fine with us just glancing through a few halls and calling it a day? Not a chance. Fine. Uh, let's just get this over with. Agents Forell and Melbrook begin to walk through the hallway. Doors along either side remain closed, and little activity is noted for the first 31 doors. Upon reaching the 32nd door, however, the agents stop as a young girl with a Middle Eastern appearance steps out and hurries past them. Her placard reads, Samia, April 2000, Syria. Agent Melbrook turns to Agent Forel, her face in a deadpan. Those are from Vesican exposure, Lindsay. I'm pretty sure anyone else from this batch of kids will have ones like these. 
Agent 4L's footage lingers on the young girl as she continues down the hallway. A few moments later, she stumbles, then sits down and begins to attempt to retie her shoes. Hold on a second. Agent Melbrook approaches the young girl with palms held outward, then gestures to her shoes. She assists her and then stands, crossing back over to 4L. Agents 4L and Melbrook continue their route for approximately 16 seconds before encountering Dash 1. Oh, there you are. Has everything been satisfactory thus far? Yes, ma'am. Everything appears to be to protocol standard. I should hope so. I put quite a bit of care into this place. Dash 1 moves to pass the two agents, but stops shortly in front of Agent Melbrook. Oh, and Rachel. Your kindness is appreciated, but I believe the terms of your assignment mention avoiding direct interaction with the children here. I would proceed with caution. You risk frightening them. Understood. Dash 1 continues past and around the corner, as do Agents 4L and Melbrook. Jeez, she's running a tight ship around here. I guess, but that's reasonable enough when you're overseeing a group of trauma victims. In any case... Agent Melbrook pauses upon noticing an adjacent door. Rachel? What's wrong? Rach? Was that door there before? Agent Melbrook points to a dull green door on the pair's left. The door's placard reads, Rachel Melbrook, December 19, retained. This is me. That's me. That's my fucking birthday. Rach, are you sure? You weren't on any of the records. Pretty sure we'd be noting down personnel who- No, but- why would this be here then? If if I was here, then they told me I was, that my parents- Rachel? No, no. I need to ask Miss Rosemary, I- Agent Melbrook turns abruptly, beginning to run down the hallway. Wait, Rach! Agent Melbrook's recording ends at this point. The following 216 minutes of footage show Agent 4L attempting to locate Agent Melbrook. During this time, she grows increasingly distressed, reporting inconsistencies against known layouts of the structure, as well as what is described as shuffling of the structure's passages. After failing to locate Agent Melbrook, Agent 4L elects to instead temporarily exit the structure in order to receive guidance from off-site Foundation staff. Footage cuts off once the exit has been reached. End log. Interview log 7041.92. Interview between Agent Melbrook and SCP 7041 1. Begin log. Footage for Agent Melbrook's camera resumes. A hand passes in front of the lens as if switching on the device. Dash 1 is sitting on the other side of an oak wood table. She does not appear to acknowledge the camera, instead choosing to look solely at Agent Melbrook. You know what I came here for. Of course, dear. An inspection. And, evidently, 
a bonus interview. A bonus? No, no. Who the hell are you? Who the hell am I? Why do I have a room in your goddamn orphanage? Dash one appears to grow somber, hesitantly reaching out a hand, then drawing it back. Please, Rachel, do not raise your voice at me. I can tell you whatever it is you wish to know, but I ask that you not be hostile with me when I do so. Then answer the questions, and fast. I... Shit, Lindsay, she... Your partner is all right. I've ensured she can locate the exit when she wishes to do so. But she's going to be looking for me. I would prefer that we not have interruptions. I'm sorry, dear. I can only assure her safety. Agent Melbrook pauses, but appears to settle back. Right. I owe you several explanations, truly. I I feel I owe you an apology for not being more forthcoming with you. All I can do is assure that I made the best decisions I could with what I was given. Were your hands that tied, considering you're able to, what, take a 50 cal to the shoulder and keep going? What do you think happened, Rachel? I think I grew up here, for a little bit at least. And I'm not afraid of you, so I don't think you did anything too fucked up while I was here, but past that. I understand. I was admittedly unaware of just how early they elected to progress things with some of you. The Foundation, you mean? Yes. I'll admit I was never certain of what became of all of you. To me, you were all so young that the very idea of it all seemed impossible. By the time I discovered where you had ended up, it was far too late to intervene. So... So what? You didn't know? You were handed over into protective custody at five years of age, Rachel Melbrook with the cover story that your parents had died in a car accident. And they didn't. Is that what you're telling me? It was a series of police raid bombings, a part of the United States I had yet to see. By the time we returned, the area was raised. Some of the children in the area had living relatives elsewhere, but... Dash One's gaze falls to its hands before it shakes its head. If I knew a better way to share the truth with you, dearest, I would. I wish there was any way I could lessen the impact this must have on you. 23 seconds pass in silence. After this period, Agent Melbrook appears to settle back. I'll be fine. I see. Well, if you're sure you're all right, there is another matter I would like to discuss with you. Go ahead. Dash one takes a deep breath. My time in this realm is coming to an end. You're... Are you dying? In a way, yes. I must say it feels long overdue, all things considered. And you're just fine with... Christ, okay? Why are you telling me this? Because I've seen what you're capable of, Rachel. Not only physically, but you care deeply about others. You demonstrate sensitivity towards the children here and, (laughs) well, perhaps most importantly, you're stubborn as a mule. You always have been. Excuse me? I mean you aren't one to be easily swayed. That and every other trait I've mentioned would be ideal for my successor. Agent Melbrook appears to sit up slightly. Another period of silence 
spanning 21 seconds, ensues. I've, I, I can't just... Then allow me to rephrase. If you did elect to stay in your current post, why would you be staying? What are you getting at? Is it out of pure loyalty and devotion to your foundation? Because if that is the case, have you considered the fact that you may not be able to recall this conversation after you leave these walls, Rachel? Agent Melbrook pauses. A hand reaches across the camera's field of view and the recording stops. End log. Exploration log. 7041.275.5. Attempt to retrieve Agent Melbrook. No. After several minutes of consultation with off-site Foundation staff, Agent Forel returned to the interior of the structure. Her advisement, she was to ignore the inspection objective. Begin log. The layout of the structure appears to have stabilized. Agent Forel is able to quickly locate Agent Melbrook in the front foyer. Rach? Rach! Christ! I thought you- I'm fine. I was... I spoke with her for a while. With Dash One? Agent Melbrook nods. Are you... You know what? We can talk about this later. We need to go. Doc will be on our ass any moment. You're what? I'm not going. Agent Forel turns back toward Agent Melbrook, who does not appear to have moved. The fuck do you mean you're not going, Rach? We're done here. If you're... If this is corrupting you or something. No, Lindsay, I I have to do this. Do what? Stay here. Assume her role. What? This place needs a new headmistress. It needs me. Agent Forel attempts to grab Agent Melbrook's arm, but is unable to move her. Let go of me, Lindsay. Please. This is weird. This is fucking weird! Agent Forel raises her radio to speak, but hears only static in response. Damn it, Rach. We need to get you back. You aren't safe here. And I'm safe with everyone back there? Really? This is... <laughs> this feels like the first decision I've made for myself in so long. I refuse to be forced into that life again. I'm sorry that it means I need to leave you behind. Rach. You're my partner. I need you to stick by me. It's not safe out there alone. I- Agent Melbrook pulls Agent Forel toward her. The dialogue is muffled to inaudibility for the next several minutes before the two separate. Just, if it helps, think of the kids, Lindsay. They're good kids. I know, Rach. You are one of them. Agent Melbrook guides Agent Forel to the door, handing her a device, later confirmed to be her body camera, along with other Foundation-issued equipment. Once outside, 67 seconds elapse without movement before Agent Forel's hand reaches across the camera's field of view. End log. 
Closing statement from Sergeant Knowles, Tau 17. After debriefing Agent Farrell, I offered her the option of receiving Class C amnestics treatment and or being reassigned to another Site-12 task force. Agent Farrell declined both offers and insisted on remaining with Tau-17. I will approve her reintegration pending a positive Sterling Kesher emotional resilience report from the psych team, recommending enforced limited contact between her and Dash-1. Note from Michael Brown, head archivist for Tau-17. Let's make sure our logs on this thing are up to date as well to avoid another meltdown. I've got no idea how many staff might have been associated with it, and I'm not intent on asking. We had a hell of a time transcribing that footage. Note. Based on the documented observations, Foundation research staff associated with Tau-17 concluded that after a life cycle of approximately 100 years, the entity will pass its anomalous properties to an adult female previously in its care. The former identity and memories of this new instance appear to be retained. These properties have been passed to former Foundation agent Rachel Melbrook, who will from this date be referred to as Dash One in accordance with the events of this exploration log. The pre-anomalous incarnation of the former Agent Melbrook is to be considered missing in action. Close. Extended Exploration Log 7041.275 Open. Interview Log 7041.93 Date. 21 April 2014. Note. The interview was conducted on-site at the structure and took place in Dash 1 study. Junior researcher Samantha Dalton was selected to conduct the interview due to her resistance to external emotional influences as well as her lack of previous connections to former Agent Melbrook, SCP-7041-1. Begin log. Hello, Dash One. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. We both know why you're here, White Coat. Let's get this over with. Of course. Junior researcher Dalton spreads documents across the table. We have a few excerpts from the exchanges that occurred the other day. Am I correct in assuming that you recalled the events that transpired between you and Agent Farrell? Lindsay, yeah. I've been trying to get in touch with her. Is she still with Tau-17? I'm sorry, I'm not privy to that information. I'm just here to ask you a series of questions, starting with... Junior researcher Dalton glances down at one of the pages on the desk. Why did we have to reclassify you, Melbrook? You had such a successful career with the Foundation, from the look of things. Why, throw it all away? Junior researcher Dalton nods. Because this was better. I had a career because I was raised in a machine. I chose to move to a home instead. Would you care to elaborate? Oh, for hours. It's not like anyone would see what's important, though. I could tell you about how we were shipped off to... (coughs) Trained from, what, 10? And all just to be slotted in among the ranks wherever we seemed to fit. 
But it's all alleged, isn't it? That's not what your documents there are saying. Your points considered, Dash One. Do you view your actions as contrastingly moral? For example, how do you reconcile with separating children from their families? There is 33 seconds of silence, during which time neither participant breaks eye contact. They come with me, or they get blown to pieces. Why not take the entire family with you, then? Because that's not how it works. None of you would get it. She told me. I saw the agreement. The original one, not the Foundation one. Rose was working with limited terms. So am I. We just do what we can. If we tried to uproot every person impacted by a conflict, we'd be disrupting more than just somebody's war plans. So you view yourself as being bound by a greater cause? Yeah, but it isn't material. I can't throw off the universe. All I can do is save the kids I can. And speaking of... Dash One produces a folded sheet of paper and passes it across the table. I've revised the standing agreement between the Foundation and myself. Our benefactor saw to it that the former was terminated. You all can either accept it or try to strong-arm me like you did Rose, and you know how that ended. Junior researcher Dalton scans through the document. I don't believe I have clearance on a great number of things mentioned here, Dash One. Don't worry. You won't even remember it. Dash One rises from her seat and gestures to the door. I'm sure you'll fare better with other subjects. You're the researcher ideal. It'll just take time. Could you elaborate? Oh, I can never do what you do, Miss Dalton. I care about others a little too much for that sort of thing. Junior researcher Dalton hesitates for a moment, but exits shortly after. A brief rustling sound is heard before the recording ends. End log. Note. In line with Foundation protocol, junior researcher Dalton was administered a Class A amnestic after the interview and denied access to this document by Riza. After deliberation, it was decided that the Foundation would sign the updated agreement in order to minimize potential threats posed by the entity. Open. Addendum 1. Recovered interview log. 7041.3 Date, 28 May 1931 Note The following interview log was uncovered after several months of archive review by Foundation staff. Per the description of the author's surroundings, it appears that the interview took place in Dash 1 study. Records attribute this entry to a Dr. Donovan Taylor who appears to have embarked on the expedition alone. The subject, or SCP-7041-1, as we have thus dubbed it, is a peculiar one for my line of work. It displays a mild countenance and an overall pleasant nature. And aside from a scuffle over one of the researchers keeping a derringer on his belt, it has been exceptionally cooperative with our efforts to know it better. I sat across from the subject at a finely carved desk, a low lamp hanging dimly between us as we spoke. 
In its mannerisms, the subject seems entirely human, if leaning a bit into the traditional displays associated with old hysterias. It seems particularly sensitive at mentions of its children, whom I have scarcely encountered during my brief expeditions through the halls, and has insisted on the drafting of an agreement with our Foundation to ensure their safety. I assume this to encompass the subjects as well, although it has demonstrated a remarkable resistance to physical harm, if the stories of its expeditions are to be believed in full. How are you faring, Doctor? An English accent, perhaps stemming from the areas near London, was clear in its words. It offered me a cup of tea, which I declined. We are yet unsure of its true motives, and settled into its own seat. I knew better than to ignore such pleasantries when they were offered. Quite well, thank you. I believe you had a pressing matter you wished to discuss. The subject smiled, rather amicably so. Indeed, I do. I admit I felt the faintest twinge of fear at the sound of an opening desk drawer. I entertained, for a moment, the possibility of some elegantly lethal dagger ending my conscious visit. What was extracted, however, was not a weapon, but instead, a series of paper sheets. I have spent several nights deliberating over the contents of this document, sir. It appeared eager for my attention, and so I gave it, meeting a pleading gaze with my own. I have drafted up terms which I believe will suit us all quite well, if you would. It trailed off, carefully placing the sheets in front of me. I noticed its gaze toward me did not falter even as I read through the listed items. It seemed to be preparing for something, although even in reflection I am unsure what. The requests listed in the agreement seemed reasonable enough a blanket guarantee of mutual amicability, the administering of a tonic meant to resolve worried guardians, the permission for occasional exploration. I found myself nodding at the end of each line, raising an eyebrow at a few and posing a question at only one. Dash one, are you certain that these unattended children would not fare better in permanent custody? The entity blinked slowly, seemingly struck by confusion. You don't believe such an arrangement should be temporary. I nearly spoke in quick rebuttal, but reminded myself of the subject's ignorance in spite of its own anomalous state. Such matters require exceptional patience, particularly when one believes itself to be human. Put simply, my dear, this world is full of creatures and places far stranger and more dangerous than your own. Beyond that, this world's propensity for bloodshed would pose a threat to any child you intended to return to it. I was admittedly uncertain of the extent to which the subject knew the dangers of my field, or of any role in our Foundation, but had it confronted me on them, I would have steadfastly held this position. I must admit that I lack some faith in your approach, sir. 
I do not imagine that children would fare well in such a regimented environment. A child, a most valuable commodity, is not to be lost to otherworldly horrors before its prime, Dash One. It is better nurtured and trained to understand and confront them. The subject appeared apprehensive for several moments before speaking up, its voice steady. But you would ensure they were looked after. Of course, my dear, as if they were our own. At this, it seemed to settle considerably, removing the paper displaying the affected terms from the stack in front of me and writing out a quick revision. It signed a section at the bottom with what was perhaps its original name, Rosemary McIntyre, before returning the sheet to me, at which point I, too, drew out my signature. I felt emboldened to reach out a hand to the subject, who grasped it gently for a moment. A gesture of trust, and perhaps a good omen for the future of our relation with it and its inhabitants. No. The agreement mentioned in this entry was upheld until April 2014, at which time an alternate draft with several revisions was proposed. Of particular relevance to this entry, the Foundation is no longer to keep orphaned children past the time span required to place them with the civilian family. Close. Addendum 1. Recovered interview log 7041.3 Open. Addendum 2. Letters. Recovered from the personal desk of SCP-7041-1. During a small-scale investigation into a quasi-anomalous occurrence in New Hampshire on 8 July 1993, Agent Aaron Youssef uncovered a series of documents from the Dawson family estate. After confirmation from command and approval from the entity, Agent Youssef retrieved the following collection of letters. Dearest Kitty, I am writing to apprise you of news from home, both horrible and strange. My last child, Stanley, like Lucy and Alexander before him, has passed from the influenza. My grief seems to know no end since the war began. First Daniel is killed by the Ottomans, then my parents succumb to consumption while trying to treat the wounded. I thought my children safe from these horrors until the epidemic reared its head. As bleak and harrowing as it is to have lost them in such a short time, I take comfort in knowing they are all together in heaven with the Lord. And now, the strange. The man with the red mustache was present at Stanley's funeral as well, only this time instead of his usual condolences, he asked for a private meeting next week in London. I must admit, I find intrigue in this man. There are few I've met who save their words for such dreary situations, but I cannot say his presence has been unwelcome. I may just meet with him before I leave Birmingham. This brings me to ask a rather large favor of you and William. I have grown weary from the stench of death and despair that has consumed Britain and the rest of Europe, and beyond that, my house is cold and quiet. 
Since I have no family nor purpose tying me to this country, I would greatly appreciate it if you two consider hosting me at your estate in New Hampshire. I will work as a maid to earn my keep if need be, at least until I am able to find a place which I can call my own. I look forward to your response and continue to pray for you and your family. Perhaps if one of us must invite in death, the other may be spared his presence. Yours, Rose McIntyre. Dearest Kitty, I at first intended to wait for your response to my previous letter, but found myself unable to after what has just transpired. I do not mean to frighten your gentle heart. It is strange but good news, and much needed after the events of the past two years. I met with the man with the red moustache a mere hour ago. As I write this, my coat is still drying. London weather is so terribly dreary compared to the blue skies I hear of in the States. But the lovely little tea room I found myself in was warm and welcoming, and I must say the same of my counterpart. He was in all ways a gentleman. I've scarcely met someone that could read a person so well, assuage their worries so easily. But then, there is so scarcely a man like him, as I soon found. As we spoke, I came to discover that he knew a great number of things about me, some of which I have yet to utter aloud. At first this frightened me, and I nearly left for fear he was some sort of killer. But he shortly convinced me to hear him out, and I found myself compelled by a kind nature in his eyes. He assured me he meant no harm, that he knew a great number of things about a great number of people, and that of all of them, he felt I was most suited for a task he had in mind. Well, Kitty, you know how I took to Mr. Donovan's similar proposition when we were young. I took my teacup and nearly tossed its contents in his face, but found myself unable to do so. Again, he simply looked at me with a gaze I could only describe as near holy in grace and quietly reassured me I was mistaken. Once I had settled, he informed me of his proposition, an orphanage to be constructed before the year's end, awaiting a headmistress, one that could ensure the children's utmost safety, even in the most dire of straits. I could take the role, he told me, if I was willing to leave what little I had behind. Kitty, I love you and William dearly. I know that you are happy, and I wish you to only continue in the joy you have found together. For that, I know I must take up this role. I could not live with myself if I knew I was a burden upon your peace. I now only hope I can bring peace to some of my fellow lost souls. Yours, Rose McIntyre. Dearest Kitty, I apologize greatly for my delay in answering your letters. Since taking up my position at the orphanage, I have found my days to be occupied with all sorts of matters, some stranger than others, but none unwelcome, as they all help ensure things remain well for my children. And they must, as they are such wonderful children, Kitty. In their eyes I find hope I thought I had forever lost. They are so young and yet they have experienced so much of the horrors of the world. I feel such an urge to protect them, to do what I can to make up for what has been done to them. A warm embrace or soft song feels so trivial, and yet when I look upon their face after these small gestures, I can see some part of them has healed, however small. Some of them are what an inexperienced matron would call difficult. 
I've sat through more than one declaration of hatred, heard a few doors slam, and almost done the same. But then I remember how cold and how numb I felt at my own losses, and I know it is my duty to extend grace, to continue to love them until they know they can be loved and feel love themselves. The hardest part has been the returns, truly. In the past several months I have rescued children from Mexico, from Ireland, from Ukraine. I have listened to their stories, held them as they cried, cooked them dinner, helped them wash up, only to kiss them goodbye and return them to an uncertain future. Certain, perhaps, with the presence of family, but not certain of a lack of future despair. It hurts me, and yet I know it is merely one of the facts of being a mother, to give one's own child to their future and trust they will be all right in their own measure. Some I have not yet been able to return, however, for lack of family or safety in their origin. These I can only mourn for and vow to do well for them for as long as they may need it. Perhaps, if the speed of the world continues to pick up pace, I may even ask that some of them assist me as caretakers. There is so much that remains to be seen, so many days to be filled with duties, and yet I have no regrets about agreeing to the offer of a mystery man in a tea room all those months ago. Yours forever, Rose. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, join my Discord community, hire me on Fiverr, or help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. Regardless of tier, all patrons get early access to every single episode. The links are in the description. I don't have the talent it takes to write a skip. All I do is read. Original authors make this podcast possible. So, credit to the original author. Their link's in the description. Show them some love as well. Consider becoming a member of the SCP Wiki, upvote their work, and maybe write a skip of your own. Maybe I'll read it here someday. You never know if you never try. The content of this podcast and content relating to the SCP Foundation, including the SCP Foundation logo, is licensed under Creative Commons ShareLight 3.0, and all concepts originate from scpwiki.com and its authors. This recording being derived from this content is hereby also released under Creative Commons ShareLike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people. Or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.